0: Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. For the past few weeks, Coburg police officers have charged protesters in front of Victoria Hall as they gather to defy provincial stay-at-home orders And other regulations to deliver their anti-pandemic message. For some in the community, there is a sigh of relief as concerns over the spread of COVID and its variants has escalated in Northumberland. There are those who ask, why was this not done sooner? Yet there are others who raise concerns about the rights of people to express their views and gather peacefully. The laying of charges was such a major change in the approach by the police A press conference was held last week to explain what was going on. It involved the chief of police, Paul Vanegraaff, Mayor John Henderson, and the chair of the police board, Dean Pepper, all expressed solidarity with the decision to crack down. Since then, the provincial government decided it was going to get tougher too. Last Friday, Premier Doug Ford, flanked by the Solicitor General, called on police to stop people randomly to question them about where they were going and take their address. The purpose was to enforce the stay-at-home order. Within 24 hours, the Premier reversed the government's decision following a public backlash and a refusal by police to enforce it. In today's show, you're going to hear from the police chief during an in-depth interview. He will explain the crackdown, but also his efforts to balance citizens' rights with the law. You will also hear his opinions on a number of subjects, including the proposed random check, And he will provide his insights into the impact of the Derek Chauvin verdict in the United States earlier this week. Chauvin was convicted in a high-profile trial for the murder of George Floyd. Here is my interview with Coburg Police Chief Paul Vandegraff. I'm so pleased to have with me today Coburg Police Chief Paul Vandegraaff. Welcome to Consider This.
1: Uh, Once again, thanks for having me back, Robert.
0: Well, the past two weeks, we've watched as the Coburg Police have laid charges against protesters in front of Victoria Hall. These people have been there almost every weekend for more than a year. What changed?
1: You know, uh, the Coburg Police Service has been educating and engaging our public uh, throughout this pandemic. And as the orders changed and as the restrictions as issued by the province of Ontario changed, so did our response. So, Again, we continued in initially with engaging and educating and then the restrictions changed and that restrictions are the stay at home before the April 16th changes. So again, we met with uh, the would be organizers of the protesters and indicated that the change and that we needed the gatherings of uh, no more than five people. And uh, we, we told them we were gonna be back and then we did and we engaged and educated, asked them to comply there was a, obviously in any civil kind of protest, there was that uh, disobedience, if you will. So there was a fail to comply. So a ticket was issued on the very first weekend of that. And uh, then the next weekend, it uh, kind of resurfaced. Uh, We had some more people, staff, we had the protesters. obviously it came to a head. And and again, I'm not here to debate the charter. I get everyone's right to uh, voice their concerns. And uh, we anticipated uh, that there would be a, a little bit of a return or a pushback, if you will. Not to, what we, not, not to what the officers received and that uh, behavior. And I don't want to belabor that behavior, but that behavior was completely unacceptable. I am truly Im- impressed that uh, those people involved, or at least most of those people involved in that really egregious behavior uh, made, made, made amends. Spoke to the officers, spoke to myself, made public amends, so that's a, that, that's a good thing. And then uh, we had April 16th and uh, we had uh, new lockdowns, uh, new stay-at-home conditions that uh, changed. Um, uh, the timing of it was uh, horrible for our little town here, uh, but uh, a, we again went down, went down again, there was a different version of protest, very compliant. Um, they, were, they were working within the uh, confines of the regulation and that they were walking around the downtown instead of standing and congregating. And at the end of the protest, uh, they did decide to state their right, and they congregated in front of Town Hall, and as a result, I think five more charges were issued.
0: Coburg is not the only police force that's been stepping up its enforcement. We've watched as other forces across the province are doing the same. Peterborough, Kingston, and Belleville are only a couple of examples. It does not seem like this is a coincidence. What's going on? Can you explain what's happening? Sure.
1: Um, the province of Ontario is the one that sets the laws. The police services in Ontario are the ones that are asked to enforce those. So the province of Ontario um, has created a, um, a, a set of rules or restrictions or in, in, in according regulations that, um, that ask police to help with the response to this health pandemic and this health crisis that the province is in. It's, it's no surprise that we're losing 25 to 30 Ontarians a day to COVID and the government's making its decisions. Um, I know a lot of chiefs across the province of Ontario are doing the same things we are. We're trying to speak with people, educate people, but there comes a time where we have to, and I hate the term, but there, there comes a time where you have to draw a line in the sand and you have to say, okay, this is what's acceptable. This is what's not acceptable. And I know from speaking to other chiefs that there are the other side of that argument are people who are very upset about these protests and the would be flaunting of the uh, of the of the law, and I can tell you, as everybody knows, I'm uh, completely approachable to the public. My phone lit up every Saturday afternoon by members of the community um, that would either phone or email or text me and say, "Why aren't you doing something?" What? And really, they don't know what we were doing. Is so that we were educating, communicating, trying to talk and trying to trying to walk that really fine line of um, recognizing the person's right to be heard versus. Uh, flaunting the law, if you will. And as things heightened with the government, as the government changed its rules, thereby our response had to be uh, correspondingly different as well.
0: Now, during a press conference recently, you said you take full responsibility for what's happening. That seems a bit strange, if you'll forgive me, but you are the police chief. The buck does stop with you. Why did you feel it was necessary to make such an obvious statement?
1: It's very, very clear the members of my police service were um, re- the receivers of misogynistic, um, racist, deflamatory comments that they didn't deserve. Uh, they were doing what they were told to do by their chief of police. The comments that I made were echoing what was said the day before when I was uh, interviewed by the local press And that they asked me why now, chief, just like you asked me. And I said, as a chief of police, I make those decisions about how our officers will be deployed and how they'll be used. That comment was very clear to the public and to my members. As chief of police, I accept full responsibility for that. And nobody has the right to demean my officers. If they needed those things to be said, they should have said them to me because it was my order. And the organizers knew that Friday afternoon.
0: Did it change the second time around when your officers went back? Was there a different tone that was taken with them, or did it continue in a similar tone to the week before?
1: Our tone never changed. Our officers were 100% professional. They did what was asked of them, and they did it with pride and with integrity. The tone of the people at the protest was markedly different, Um, recognizing that sometimes uh, that group mentality gets the better of people that people's anger and this is passionate people like if you're willing to stand out in front of town hall for over a year uh you're passionate i may not agree with your with your, with your arguments or with your, with your stance but you're obviously passionate so i, I do believe that passion's got the better of, the, of those people um but it doesn't excuse their behavior um therefore um i think they recognized it and i think there's a fair amount of public out, outcry i know i received a ton of support for our members from the members of the public. So I believe that um, their tone was was where it should be. It it needs to be that passively resistant, if you will, just recognizing they have a different stand, recognizing that they're gonna make their stand and there may be um, implications in in, in, in the line of tickets.
0: There might be those who feel that the police force is infringing on people's constitutional rights to freedom of expression and the right to gather peacefully. How does the actions of the police not conflict with these rights?
1: I would, I would, again, I'm not gonna debate the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. That's for great legal minds. That's why we have a great legal system. But I would ask everyone to read the entire Rights and Freedoms in the Charter of Rights and Freedoms and that those, those rights and freedoms are not absolute. And when um, we're in a case of a health pandemic, this is an emergency we're now we're, the, the nation is considering Emergency Measures Act. That's not what we're under, but we are under a health pandemic. There are lawful rela- regulations in place And I want to remind everybody that the great country that we live in has a charter of rights and freedoms, and they protect great rights and freedoms. However, those rights and freedoms are not absolute. I guess I said I wasn't going to debate it, and here I am debating it. Bring me back my poli-sci days there, Rob.
0: What has been the public's reaction to your efforts over the past few weeks? What are you and your officers hearing?
1: We're hearing mixed, obviously, right? We get a lot of people who are content that uh, we're doing what we should have been doing for years. Obviously, there are the, uh, the naysayers who, who feel that we should have been doing this from day one and why did it take so long? And then we're hearing from people that it's that we've made covert a police state. Um, so it, it's, it's across the spectrum. Um, obviously, I think overall, we have to be really cognizant that the bulk of our community has done just amazing through this, uh, through this pandemic. And even those people receiving tickets, th- these people have families, these people are going through their very variety of stresses. Um, and again, it, it is a very, very difficult time. And as chief, I'm trying to manage the, 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 the mood and attitude and of our, of our police service, those men and women who are out there serving uh, every day in this pandemic, uh, as well as balancing the needs of the community, as well as balancing um, our own personal requirements and our own family crises and stresses that occur in all of our lives. So it is, it's is—it's a broad spectrum, but overall, I believe the public are are, um, are supportive of the actions. Uh, again, a lot of people like to tell me how I should do my job, and, and maybe they're right and maybe they're wrong, history will tell.
0: In 2020, you received uh, 197 calls related to COVID and compliance. Uh, out of that, were 82 were co- related to uh, c- COVID. Um, there were compliance checks of 115. Four people got charged over that time, and there was one arrest for obstruction. In 2021, the total calls year-to-date are at 21. So yep. you're on track to almost uh, the same. But interestingly enough, from April 1st until current, there have been 14 COVID-related calls. That's almost two-thirds of what you've got to the year to date. Are you seeing a shift in the public's response and to how they see your role?
1: Uh, Yeah, listen, our calls are only going to go up Uh, because there's a complete lack of clarity when it comes to these regulations and that they change, they change very quickly, they change, and even when they change, they change again. So I don't blame the community for being confused and the police are often the phone call of last resort. So people don't understand. And then we couple on personal and p- pandemic fatigue. So there are people who are tired. Their kids have been in and out of school three or four times. There are post-secondary students who are trying to virtually learn a university program, uh, Mums and dads, and, and they're working from home or, or back and forth. And it, the fatigue, I can tell you the personal fatigue. Like, if I had gone back, turned back the clock to when I was sworn in, I would never have thought the first 18 months of the 24 months would have been spent dealing with the pandemic. I would have thought it was quite the horror story. In fact, somebody actually told me a very, a very, a very telling little uh, story in that, had I written a movie that said the world's going through a, uh, a pandemic where every country is bearing too many people from this, this pandemic, there's a volcano erupting and a police officer is convicted for murdering somebody, all in the same week, you, you would, Hollywood would throw that script away saying it's unbelievable, but that's the day we're living in. So the public have, a, have, have not only have a right, but the public should call us and, and our members take these calls seriously. We received, I believe one or two last night and it was just people not sure about what to do. And, and, and that's what we're here for. And we work in a great town called Coburg, and, and it's a smaller community and our call load isn't like what they face in the larger centers. So our officers are only too uh, pleased to, to respond and answer the questions as they require. That's why we have our auxiliary group, that volunteer group still out in the park, still engaging, still educating, still communicating. Our special constables are up doing that. So it's, it's a pretty remarkable time.
0: You have charged protesters before. In fact, charges were laid last summer and the Crown Attorney dropped those charges or gave minor penalties. Has anything changed this time around? I know you were pretty upset the last time. In fact, you said you were pissed off. Do you feel any yeah. differently?
1: Yeah, I don't feel any different at all, and I, that's why I said at the press conference, and I say it right now, that I I expect that the courts uh, prosecute these charges with vigor, um, and, and and I've met with the provincial prosecutors as well as the crown attorney, and I've expressed to them very clearly what I expect, and and that, um, but I also understand my role in the justice system. The governments create laws, we enforce laws, judiciary try laws. So at the end of the day, the uh, the trial will sit in the courts, um, and the opinion of how that's managed will be in the eye of the public. Uh, I know for a fact that my officers did what was expected of them. They laid the appropriate charges. As long as we follow due process, which I've been I'm being ensured was being done, so we don't have any technicalities with those tickets being issued. I expect the courts to to manage these uh, to manage these tickets accordingly.
0: When you had your conversation, what kind of reaction did you get from the crown?
1: Complete support, 100% support, uh, equal frustration. Uh, there are backlogs in the provincial court system for provincial trials for careless drivings and careless drivings and death-related crashes. There are backlogs, I believe, 2019. Um, this virtual world that we sit in and people's access to, to justice is impeded. So I, I, I don't ever say that I blame, and I'm not holding a, a, a different uh, lens to the court system. However, there is a remedy for these charges simply on the ticket, i.e. pay it or ask for a trial, and I expect that that be followed and, and to the best of their abilities, and I was assured of that.
0: Just last week, the Premier, along with the Solicitor General, announced that police would be, have the ability to stop people randomly as a means of getting people to stay at home and only go out for essentials. You released a statement saying your officers would not participate. Why?
1: Uh, we're not doing that. Uh, let's be clear. Uh, two o'clock, two fifteen exactly on last Friday, uh, we were invited to a, co- a conference call with the premier and the solicitor general, and we were advised of this. And I can tell you chiefs across the province, there was, there was a collective thud and that was our jaws hitting the table. Um, and quite frankly, the last thing policing needs is any excessive use of an arbitrary stop. We have all the route, ra- all the reasonable, uh, uh, articulable reasons to stop people under the Highway Traffic Act, we have under the Criminal Code, um, and, there, and other regulations within the province. So we were not going to arbitrarily stop people to ask them what they were doing. A, it puts my officers in a horrific, a horrific position of an argument, an instant argument, um, because how are you going to debate with a person on the roadside whether or not they were going for essential groceries, health care, to work, um, and that kind of uh, police state was not a comfortable place. We and I did say that we're going to do everything by everything. I go back to my ease. We're going to engage. We're going to we're going to educate. We're going to. And if we have to enforce, we'll enforce. But I, we told our staff right away, do not do this. Um, and I can tell you across the province, this is what was said. And that's why I'm sure the uh, premier pulled back on Saturday afternoon and and, uh, and changed the language around that. And we're going to stick with complaint driven complaint driven. So if our community Indicates the they feel that somebody is having a barbecue in their backyard and contravention of the emergency, emergency orders, then we'll investigate and we'll reach out and we'll talk, we'll educate. And at, at the end of the day, we hope we get compliance. If we don't, we'll, we'll enforce. But yeah, no, we were not comfortable with that language. Um, not, to me, nothing good could come from that other than pit, pitting the police against good people. And we worked too hard to develop positive relationships to have it, uh, to have it knocked down like that.
0: Now, some listeners may say, "But you pull people over all the time. I mean, you do ride checks, drunk driving. You suspect someone is suspicious or a breach of various conditions or warrants. You stop people all the time. What was different?"
1: The those the instances that you uh, recommend or you, you suggested are all what we call an articulable cause. In other words. If you're driving in an erratic fashion and someone believes under an officer with their trained eye that you may be impaired by drugs or alcohol, they can articulate that the reason for the stop was that you were acting, your driving was erratic. They stopped the car and then their investigation, maybe it was you were texting, you weren't drunk. So their original articulation of, I think this person may be impaired, isn't true, but it's true that you were texting or you were just mad or you were daydreaming or there's lots of reasons. There's an articulable cause. So what we always say to our officers that when you stop somebody, you better have a reason. You better have a reason to engage them in a conversation. It's not the same as if we're walking foot patrol on the bikes, we pull up to a nice family in the park and we have a conversation. That's a very different thing. We're just doing great proactive policing. But when you put, I say to the young officers, when you light up the car, when you put those lights and sirens on, you better have a really good reason as to why you're pulling that person over. And, uh, and that's where we stand. And that's why I, f- I feel that we didn't need this extra order or this extra uh, excessive police right. We, we have a lot of rights under the Highway Traffic Act, Liqu- Liquor License Act, Trespass to Property Act, the Criminal Code of Canada, all other provincial legislations to, to engage people if we find them in contravention of, 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 of various laws or, or, or regulations. So it just it just was a Pandora's box that we didn't need to open, in my opinion.
0: No, isn't the solicitor general though your boss? Uh, were you not r- flaunting the request by your superior?
1: Oh wow! Okay, so my boss is clearly the Police Services Board, uh, the Covert Police Services Board. That's who's clearly my boss it, in the in the broader respect. I, I guess uh, Rob, I agree with you. Yes, the solicitor general is my boss. Um, I honestly felt that uh, there was a there was a lapse in consultation about that particular issue. I understand. Like like Ontario is in a terrible position here with this with this with this health pandemic. Like. We're losing people. We're losing the battle. Uh, and I know that I know the government is in a very difficult position. I'm, I'm not picking political stripes here. I, I don't do that. I don't I don't subscribe to any particular political party. But when you're faced as a government with a decision to say who gets an ICU bed and who doesn't. Uh, yeah, I, I understand how those I, I wouldn't want to be in that position. I understand those who are stuck in that position would be like looking for anything and, and I just feel that uh, had the conversation or some consultation occurred prior to, I I honestly believe the the, a different decision would have been made. But like I said, normally we get uh, some indication about the regulations changing on a Thursday or Friday and they take effect on Sunday. Um, This was, information was received at like 2.30, I think our our next call was at 6 p.m. Friday night and then they they were in effect midnight that night. That doesn't give me a lot of time. Like I had a command brief, I think at four o'clock before six on Friday to try to get my team up to snuff. So it just came a little bit fast. And I think a little bit more time on consultation would have avoided this entire thing.
0: Protesters are always interested in getting attention. Some feed on it. How do you avoid making these people appear as martyrs to their cause, or at least victims enticing their followers and supporters to become more active and elevate their cause?
1: Wow, that's a that's a great question. You can always trust you, Rob. To get the good ones. Um, listen, we have. A, I don't want to make the news. the uh, Last thing we want to do is be anybody's entertainment. But uh, we have a job to do. Um, the protesters, the protesters have a will and a desire to, to state their cause. I anticipate they'll continue to to do that. We're going to continue to respond. A choice to walk away and ignore is is just not there for us. Um, we will engage each situation as it appears. Apply the appropriate ever-changing regulation to the to the incident. Take any requisite action. What the news reports? I hope the news reports uh, a fair uh, a fair argument on both sides of the of the equation. What the police did and what the protesters did. So people have news. Um, there is always room for editorials. And in the days of social media, they they exist elsewhere. Uh, but um, at the end of the day, uh, I can't help the fact that. Uh, Conduct of some require the reaction of some of my folk, and, and collectively, some people always want to report that.
0: How does this affect you? I mean, sure, there is a, a cut-and-dry law to be enforced, but there is an element that uh, rubs up against the ideas of the police state and authoritarian rule. The government was prepared to take us down this path, consciously or not. Does this trouble you as a lifelong officer? How, how do you handle it personally?
1: You know um hey, good question uh how, yeah it, it, I wear this on behalf of my service so I, I take this personally to say listen this is this is something that I personally Paul Vandergraaf wants to carry for the membership um, as much as I can and I do that for our team um personally um listen I've been at this now I'm, I'm starting my 31st year um I'd like to say we've uh, we've seen this before we kind of haven't um but uh it, it, it wears, man. Like I said to you earlier, it's, uh, who would have thought in my first kind of two, two, two plus years as chief, 18 or so months of it would be spent every day talking about a pandemic instead of crime prevention and different things like that. So you know what? We, we always, we do our best um, within our service to, to ensure our mental health. Um, I, I have great family support. I, I've got great support within the organization. I'm happy to say morale is as good as it can be. We do, well, we do uh, three check-ins a week with our staff, all staff, who, whether they're remote, working remotely or on days off. They, they jump in on a Teams meeting. We have increased our, uh, our Lunch and Learn programs where we're bringing in experts to talk to us about uh, diet. Like there's one starting in a few moments about um, nutritionists and gut health. We talk about anxiety. We talk about depression. We, we put it all on the table so that we collectively as a family work internally here but then we're also trying to support our spouses and children who are at home so it's a it's a it's a, it's a never-ending thing and at the same time our, our guys and girls are doing great police work uh we're still engaging the community we're still getting the odd car seat clinic out there um, we're, we're we've launched the youth advisory committee which we're going to start remotely we're just the board yesterday decided to start the new strategic business plan which is which is great so you know what business is rolling so you know what? I, I think um, given the fact that I've changed my calendar and I have eight days in a standard seven day week, we're getting all the work done, Rob.
0: But what are the issues that you're debating in your head though?
1: Uh, well, the, key, the key issues for us and what we're trying to figure out is, is a fair balance. And, 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 and that's where I, and that's this time of week, this time of the week, as we come into the, the weekend, I'm always trying to weigh the odds of the question you said earlier, are we required to do this? Do we just wash our hands of this and say, we've done what we can. And then I go back to at the end of the day, as you said, it's been a life career in policing. At the end of the day, I may not personally like the decisions, but at the end of the day, I am paid by the, by the, the residents of Coburg and AKA the province of Ontario to enforce the law. The expectation of me as chief is that my police service will enforce the law impartially. Um, without prejudice and then I find that land and then I go back to our team and and I've been criticized eh, 30 people down there and only six people were charged well you know what that comes that fair balance that comes to to being reasonable and fair and, and trying to walk a very fine middle line
0: I know you're a very thoughtful man and you care a great deal about policing not just in Coburg but around the world we watched as uh, a verdict was delivered in the Derek Chauvin trial. What is your initial reaction to that verdict and what does it mean in your mind for policing overall?
1: As I, as I said to our command team uh, today at our meeting, um, that was one of those monumental days um, for us in, like when we talk about where were you when this happened. Um, my world at home stopped, like rarely do, um, my wife and I stopped what we're doing exactly at the same time to watch what's on TV, and we did that, to, to hear this verdict. That's how impactful this verdict is, and this, the death of George Floyd is a horrific event, which caused across the world, but specifically here in Ontario, to confront issues around racial injustices and systemic racism in policing. and policing. And we've been making strides uh, to, 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 to open our eyes to what we may have not seen and be better um we've we've engaged in conversations Uh, we've joined with the town's uh, equity diversity inclusiveness committee Um, we've done internal reviews we've had conversations um at the end of the day i truly believe a horrific event occurred and mr floyd lost his life and derek chauvin was held accountable for that and he needed to be held accountable for that and i do believe justice was served that's not going to bring mr floyd back Obviously it's not gonna ease the pain that his family's suffering, but I would believe it was a indicator to everybody that times have shifted. Our goal in policing is to ensure that we assist in that shift movement and to ensure that we're doing everything we can to make sure stuff like that doesn't happen in the future.
0: Chief, I wanna thank you so much for talking to me today.
1: No worries, Robert, it's always a pleasure.
0: That's consider-this.ca, and don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening, and stay tuned for more from Consider This.